0: Maybe you have something like this. Not a Bible, I hope you do have a Bible, but I'm talking about something else, something that's inside this Bible. In my family, there's a tradition. I'm not exactly sure how it started, but there's a tradition that when you turn 21, you get a Bible. And this is the Bible I got when I turned 21. I got it as a gift from my parents and and from my grandfather. And in the front of the Bible, uh, they wrote this note. So maybe you have something like that, a letter or, or a note that's really meaningful to you, something you've saved that encourages you every time you revisit it, that, that warms you. I hope you do. Well, as we continue our series, The Waiting Game, we're going to talk about encouragement. That's a big idea in this book of First Thessalonians. We've been working our way through the book, and the chapter we're going to look at today, chapter 3, has a lot to teach us about encouragement. And encouragement is something we really need, especially in a time of waiting. As we live out our own waiting game, one thing we all need is encouragement. And so as we look at this letter this morning, we're going to see that encouragement comes from really one primary source. It comes from people. See, today we're going to get to the heart of this letter. The whole reason the letter of 1 Thessalonians was written was to provide encouragement. And we're gonna see that the encouragement comes in the form of a person, a relationship. You see, that's the reason this note is so meaningful to me. It's because of the relationship it represents. We get encouragement from people. And that encouragement is at the heart of this section of 1 Thessalonians. So let's look at the letter and let's learn about encouraging relationships. We're gonna start in chapter three, verse one. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. So you can already see the word encouragement there in verse 2. That That was the reason Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonians in the first place. Timothy was sent in order to strengthen and encourage the church. And this word strengthen is important as important as encouragement it highlights the fact that all of us need strengthening being saved is just it's not the end of the story just starting a relationship with jesus is just that it's a start but we don't get to to set it and forget it it's not enough for us to simply have a conversion a salvation moment that's important of course but there's more we need to continue on in our faith and that doesn't happen on our own if we're just on our own we won't have all we need to grow in our faith. We need to be strengthened. And that can only happen with others in relationship. So see, strengthening and encouragement are what this church needs. And this word encouragement is another really important word. In Greek, it's the word parakaleo. It's a word that literally means to to come alongside. The same word that Jesus uses to describe the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you look at John 14, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a, as a paraclete, a come alongsider, if you will, an encourager, a comforter. So encouraging people means we come alongside them, we support them, we love them in the same way that the Holy Spirit does for us. See that involves relationships. And Paul says that he wanted to strengthen, he wanted to encourage for a clear purpose. He wanted to come alongside them so that no one would be shaken. Another translation says no one would be unsettled. And that word, shaken or unsettled, it's a great descriptive word. I have to share it with you. It means settled or unshaken, certainly. It's the idea of being emotionally upset. But at its root, it's the idea of being flattered or drawn away. Being unsettled from your roots such that you're drawn away to something flashy and attractive, but that's ultimately dangerous. So for Paul, his fear that the church might be drawn to some false teaching or drawn back to Judaism so they could avoid persecution, his fear is that they'll take the easy road, the escape hatch. Rather than seeing things through, he's worried that in their waiting time, they would falter. They'd be shaken and unsettled. And that's a very real concern for them and honestly, for us too. Any church, any person, when we face trouble. When we face a long waiting game we run the risk of of slipping of faltering of being drawn away to other things things that are easy that seem to offer the promise of simple and easy but god is not always in the simple and the easy very often god uses the challenging the hard stuff to grow us in fact later on this morning we'll observe communion we'll remind ourselves that jesus himself he avoided the simple and the easy he chose the hard path for our sake. So when we resist the flattery, when we resist the simple and easy, we put ourselves in a place where God can grow us, can make us more like Christ. And I told you this word, this word uh, shaken or unsettled, it's a very descriptive word. And you might wonder how one word can mean both flattery and emotionally upset. Those two ideas don't seem to go together. But the same word is used to describe a dog wagging his tail. And if you own a dog we could maybe already see the connection dogs they're drawn off track by the littlest things if you just look a dog in the eye long enough he'll start wagging his tail they're always ready to get up and go for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing they see a squirrel and they're off and running with no thought about what they might leave behind no thought about what danger lurks ahead they're easily shaken well the church can be like that too sometimes looking out ahead looking for something exciting, putting our hope in this thing or that thing or this person. Sometimes we think the simple and easy path is just to look back, living in the past, trying to get back to the good old days when things were not so hard. But all these things just leave us feeling unsettled. Encouragement on the other hand is, is a present tense activity. It helps us avoid both of those things, those traps, stuck in the past or flitting ahead to some imagined future. Encouragement roots us in the present, where God is, where God wants to grow us. So encouragement is the key. It helps us avoid being shaken and unsettled. And as we said, encouragement comes in relationships. So this morning, I want us to explore encouragement. As we live through the waiting game, encouragement is something we could all use a bit more of. And this book of 1 Thessalonians teaches us what encouragement should look like. So this morning as we continue our study, we're going to see three ways that we can encourage each other. Three qualities of encouragement. The first way we encourage each other, the first way encouragement shows up here is a bit surprising. Because encouragement shows up first as challenging. Challenging. Now now that may seem like the opposite of encouragement. But look with me at the passage again. Look at verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. Paul says for this reason, the reason he sent Timothy to encourage them, and the reason he mentions is to find out about their faith. He hasn't heard from them. He's concerned they might have walked away. They might have been like that dog wagging his tail, heading off in another direction. Or they might have been so weighed down with feeling unsettled that they just gave up on church, just gave up on all of it. So he wants to find out about their faith. And that means a bit of challenge. There's going to be some probing, some hard questions. How are you handling this? How are you handling that? What are you doing to keep growing? Those kinds of questions. And those kinds of questions, they can make us uncomfortable. I talk a lot with our growth group leaders about the idea of accountability. That's one of the things we try to focus on in our groups, and yet even though we all know we need it, very few of us really want that. The idea of being challenged makes us uncomfortable. We all resist those hard questions, whether it's pride or stubbornness or whatever, we resist being challenged. And yet we keep it as part of our growth groups because it's so important. Those challenging questions are actually encouragement. Sometimes encouragement is challenging, and yet each of us has a role in encouraging others and in allowing ourselves to be challenged by others. That's what happens in healthy relationships. We challenge each other. So I want to give each of us a couple of healthy practices, things we can all do to help each other, to offer challenging encouragement. The first way we can challenge each other is just by giving each other something we call balcony space. And balcony space, it's a good description for for stepping back, taking a panoramic view of our lives. I mean, imagine if you could take a person out on the, the balcony of their life, having them look at things from a different perspective. So instead of a person just being right down in the middle of their situation, caught up in all the emotions of whatever's happening to them, we can encourage them. We take them up on the balcony of their life, help them to see things from a different perspective looking on the situation, removed from all the immediate emotions of it. We can challenge them to see things more clearly, and then they know how to act. Jesus did this kind of thing a lot. All through the Gospels, Jesus asks questions of people over and over again. I think part of what he's doing is just this, helping people get out on the balcony, see things in a fresh way. So that's one way we can encourage by challenging people, giving them a fresh perspective, balcony space. Another great way to encourage people in a challenging way is to observe patterns. If you have a relationship with a person, if you've known a person for a while, you can start to see patterns in their life, things that they experience over and over and over again. And Patterns can be healthy, but more often they can be a little destructive. Some counselors note that we can create stories about our lives when we're young. We we label ourselves from an early age as the victim or as a loser based on those early life experiences. Well then, as we grow up, we look for situations that fit our stories. We find ourselves just living out the patterns that match those unhelpful labels we've given ourselves. So we end up playing the victim all the time in situations that we shouldn't. Well, as an encouraging friend, We can challenge people to think carefully about the patterns in their life. We can use questions just like Jesus does. Have you noticed that you seem to experience this or that quite a bit? Why do you think that is? Or I'm sensing a pattern in your life and it seems like this situation might just be feeding into that pattern. Is that the best idea for you? These kinds of questions, just pointing out patterns, it's a great way to challenge people in a loving way. All of us need others to give us a fresh perspective on our lives. Even our church can benefit from that. When our new pastor does come, one of the things I hope he'll provide is a fresh set of eyes, a fresh perspective, helping all of us see where those unhealthy patterns have set in for us as a church. That'll be challenging, but ultimately encouraging to begin to confront those things. So encouragement can be challenging now i have to brag on pastor thad for a bit uh, quite a lot he'll pop into my office here or these days he'll just call me to check in and ask me how are you doing and he'll, usually i'll say oh i'm fine some variation on that right but he's always really good to challenge me no no really how are you and the result is always a good encouraging conversation sometimes it's that simple to provide encouragement that's challenging so encouragement can be challenging. That's one way that encouragement shows up in our lives. The second thing that encouragement is, is it's mutual, mutual encouragement. Remember, Paul sends Timothy to go to Thessalonica and encourage the church. And yet, I want you to see what happens to Paul as a result of him sending Timothy. Look with me at verse 6. But now, Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us, as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Paul is just as encouraged by the church as they are by him. He says that Timothy's report was good news. This is the only time that word for good news is used in the New Testament when it doesn't refer to the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. So that tells me this is really good news for Paul. He describes that the mutual encouragement is on par with the gospel. It's really good news. He was very encouraged by Timothy's report. He feared the worst, that they were shaken and unsettled. Yet Timothy went and found out that the church in Thessalonica, it wasn't some ground zero that he gazed on in horror, but instead it was a thriving body of believers. That's good news. Well, that resonates with our church. I mean, we've been without a senior pastor for a very long time, about two and a half years now, and yet our story is not one of unsettled or shaken. Our story is good news we're stable we're healthy we're seeing God's hand at work that's really good news I want you to be encouraged by that so Paul sent Timothy to deliver encouragement and that encouragement became mutual remember they were an example to the churches throughout the region so mutually encouraging those churches too and their example is summed up in part of Timothy's report here in verse 6 Timothy encourages Paul with good news but it's specific good news The report tells us there's good news about your faith and love. Their example was built around faith that showed itself as love. Love for each other and love for others. And let me encourage us to keep growing in this area. As we talked about in week one of this series, we want to have faith and love that are active, that are working hard, toiling to share the gospel in our valley and beyond. Faith that shows up as love. So as we encourage other people, we get the gift of being encouraged ourselves. I told you a bit ago about our growth group leaders, how the topic of accountability, it's difficult for people in groups because so many people resist it. But every time I meet with our growth group leaders, I walk away encouraged by them. That's how it works. Encouragement can be mutual. So if you need some encouragement for you to go be encouraging to others, then here it is. When you offer encouragement, you almost always encouragement for yourself. Encouragement can be mutual. So encouragement can be challenging. It can be mutual. There's one other thing encouragement is. Look at the passage again with me starting in verse 9. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? As we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. Paul's so encouraged by them, so mutually encouraged, that he thanks God for them. He tells them about all the joy he has because they've been so encouraged. And then he prays, and notice what he prays about. He prays very earnestly to be able to see them face to face. Well, that's a prayer we can all relate to right now, isn't it? Now you have a biblical model for praying that we could return to -to face-to-face meetings. Uh, but, But he prays to be able to see them, to be reunited with them so that he can encourage them. And he mentions a very specific way to encourage them. He wants to complete what's lacking in their faith. And this highlights the third aspect of encouragement. Encouragement can be completing. Completing. Encouragement helps us grow by giving us what we lack. It can complete us. And when we say encouragement that completes us, I don't mean Jerry Maguire style, you complete me. What I mean is that it grows us. It makes us more holy. It conforms us to the image of Christ. Encouragement helps to fill in the holes in our life. And let's remember, all this encouragement happens in relationships. We encourage each other. We come alongside each other just like the Holy Spirit does. And when it comes to encouragement that completes, then then what does that look like? I think it looks like the things we've talked about, challenging each other, giving each other a fresh perspective, that balcony space. But I also think it looks like sharing our experiences. There are things in my life, things I've experienced and learned from that I could pass on to others. And there's things in your life the same way. You have experiences and life lessons you've learned that you can use to encourage somebody else. You've had challenging moments in your life, things that have grown you. You can use those to encourage others. So if we could combine challenging encouragement with mutual encouragement, we might end up with encouragement that completes us, that grows us more and more like Jesus. And for us at Trinity, this is just one more way that cross-generational relationships come into play. See, if you trend to the older end of our congregation, you got things that have happened to you or things that you've experienced that could be a real encouragement to others, especially to younger folks. And if you're a younger person, if you trend towards the younger side of our congregation, then you have experiences you're facing that are going to be hard for you. You're going to be that person who's down in the middle of it all. You need somebody to lift you up to the balcony, give you a hopeful perspective. What better person to do that than a person who's been through what you're experiencing? So we can offer encouragement that completes us, that helps us grow, and we can especially do it across generations. So these are some of the ways that we can encourage. We can challenge. We can be mutually encouraged, and we can help grow people to completion. And it all happens in relationships. I mean, over and over again during this waiting time, God keeps showing us how important those relationships are. Relationships with each other, first and foremost, but also relationships with others in our community. We want to keep growing in this area. And a big way we do that is by encouraging each other, by living out this example of faith and love. One more thing I want to say about encouragement, one more way I want to encourage each of you. That word encouragement, no surprise, it it literally means to give courage to a person. You're infusing a person with courage to face their situation. When we think about encouragement in that way, then it moves from just simple acts, just writing someone a note or sending a text message, to more significant conversations. Now, both of those things are ways to encourage. Don't stop texting people. Don't stop writing notes. But I want to encourage all of us to take our encouragement to the next level. I want to encourage all of us to be so engaged in the lives of each other that we can offer real courage-inducing encouragement. We can look each other in the eyes and give courage to each other. I want all of us to have those kinds of relationships in our lives. If you don't have a relationship like that, if you don't have a, a person that you can give and get that kind of courage from, Let me tell you, this is exactly why we have growth groups at Trinity. I know that our growth groups create environments where those kinds of relationships can happen. And if you're not a part of that kind of a relationship, I really want you to be. For your sake and for the sake of others that you can encourage. So if you need those kinds of relationships, please let me know. We've got a great men's group you could connect to. We've got growth groups all of us could find a home in. We're in the process of starting new groups too. So there's plenty of room for everybody. Just like this church in Thessalonica, we at Trinity, we want to be an example church. We want to show our whole valley what it means to live well while we wait. And a big part of that means we wait with courage. As we've discovered, waiting with courage means we lean into, we prioritize relationships. We get courage by encouraging each other. And as a church, as we live at our own waiting game, waiting to write the next chapter in the life of this church. We want to enter that next chapter with great relationships. That means we have the task of encouraging one another in the here and now, challenging each other, being mutually encouraged by each other, and working to grow each other to be more and more like Christ. At the end of this chapter, Paul prays for the Thessalonian church. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a very fitting prayer for us, for this church. So I want to close our time by praying that prayer for each of us, and then we'll observe the Lord's Supper. Let me pray. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May He make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Amen. We've talked this morning about this passage that's all about relationships. That's a key value for us here at Trinity. But it's also an aspirational value for us. In other words, it's something we're experiencing, but it's also something we wanna keep growing in. We wanna be better at relationships, at encouraging. Growing in the gospel, growing in grace, and growing in encouragement. And this idea of relationships, it shows up all over the Bible. One of the ways it shows up is in the Lord's Supper. It's a picture not only of a relationship with each other, but a relationship with God Himself. In another one of Paul's letters, he tells us this, the cup of blessing we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Paul tells us that the the cup and the bread represent a relationship with Christ Himself. His blood poured out for us, His body broken for us in order to make a way for us to have a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ. So as we partake of the elements, we confirm our relationship with Him. And yet Paul goes on to say this, Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. So there's a relationship with Christ, but also a relationship with each other. And the Lord's Supper is a beautiful expression not only of our unity with Christ, but with our unity with each other. So as we partake, let's be encouraged not only of what Christ has done for us, his sacrificial death, but let us also be encouraged that we are one body, partaking of one bread together, mutually encouraging each other through the gospel. And in just a moment, we've got some some music, some worshipful music, reflective music that you can use to guide yourself or your family to partake of communion. So I want you to use that time to reflect first on the great links that God himself went to in order to have a relationship with you. And I want you to be encouraged by that, encouraged to build up your own relationship with Christ and with other people. Let me pray for us. God, we are humbled by the great links that you've gone to to uh, make a way for us to have a relationship. You didn't uh, take the easy way out. Uh, You instead chose the challenge. You chose the hard path, the path that led to your own death. You willingly laid down your life for us. And as we commemorate that this morning, as we remember the sacrifice you've given us in order to make that relationship, then we want to be encouraged by that, encouraged by the love that you have for us. And we want that faith and that love to overflow out of us into our relationships with each other, so that our church becomes an example for so many people to look to and understand what faith and love can really look like. And we want to be uh, uh, building a relationship with each other in a way that is encouraging, mutually encouraging, challenging, that uh, uh, points us to uh, grow more and more like your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.